This is the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast on the WVSA Digital Network. From the Sport Pens International Studios in Charleston, West Virginia, here's your host, Marcus Cole. Welcome to our podcast. We have another informative show for you. However, before we welcome our guest, I want to remind you to like, subscribe, and share our program. This helps us get the word out to others and let them know that we're providing valuable information designed for soccer players, coaches, referees, and parents right here on the WVSA Digital Network. With us today, uh, back on the program, is Ian Barker, Director of Coaching Education for United Soccer Coaches. Ian, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Marcus. Thank you for having me, and uh, greetings to all the good folk of West Virginia and beyond. Now, we are, um, you know, we're certainly really appreciative for you taking time out of your schedule to talk with us today. I know you're a busy guy, especially coming off the United Soccer Coaches convention uh, that just wrapped up. Uh, You had a very successful session at the convention uh, called Preparation, Execution, Reflection in the Coaching Process. Can you give us just a quick recap of what that session was all about? Absolutely. Absolutely. The way that the convention works is there's a lot of um, diversity in the quality of presentations. When I say quality, um, more uh, the levels they refer to. So there's a lot of content from USYS and then all the way up to content from professional coaches in the English Premier League and NWSL and MLS. Um, My challenge is to do the opening session, which is for the everyman, if you will, um, to try to find something that could speak to the broadest possible audience and so as i was thinking about it i was thinking about what is it that all coaches do and we all all coaches prepare in some capacity their training session with a massive range of uh, detail on a on a spectrum there um so you know it could be very different for a grassroots coach as opposed to a professional coach but we all do we all do some element of preparation we all then have to execute or deliver the session and then critically, and, and perhaps the, the challenging one is the reflection piece. So many of us have the opportunity to watch ourselves back on video. There's a formal reflection, intentional reflection. And very often for the grassroots coach, after you've piled your kid into the car, um, packed up the soccer balls, dealt with all of the other questions, the reflection simply might be as you're driving home, that, that went well today or that didn't go so well. But I felt that we all prepare we all deliver or execute and we all reflect. And so we filmed a session that I did working with U13s from the MLS Academy here at Kansas. And I simply went through the process uh, with the audience of what I was doing in my preparation, what I was doing in my delivery and what I was doing in my reflection. And it seemed to resonate with a pretty broad audience, which was the objective because everybody could see a little bit of themselves in it somewhere. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, if uh, if somebody wasn't uh, uh, or somebody didn't attend the session virtually, uh, United Soccer Coaches will be coming out with something that they'll be able to go in and, you know, pay a fee and then you'll be able to review all the sessions afterwards. Am I correct on that? Yeah, the, the package this year is actually, I would argue, a slightly better one than in a normal year because everything was recorded digitally um, and a lot of those presentations There are quite a few with field sessions in, um, but everything was sort of recorded and edited prior to it being presented to the audience live last week. 
So there are somewhere in the range of 50 sessions, ranging from Jose Mourinho of Tottenham Hotspurs, Emma Hayes of Chelsea Ladies, Jesse Marsh of Red Bull Salzburg, all the way down through MLS and NWSL presentations, presentations from grassroots, USYS, um, and other major contributors in the soccer space in, in the US. And currently, that package of 50 45 minute to one hour presentations and there is 50 of them and and most of them are very good quality uh, i believe my organization is charging 199 dollars for so they haven't broken them up into smaller packages it's a kind of an opportunity to buy the convention post event and then you have all of that uh, collateral to go through but it's probably close to 40 to 50 hours of content well, I've been to uh, the convention a number of years, and I would certainly say if you weren't able to go, uh, certainly worth the price of admission to uh, to uh, check out the package that's now available so you'd be able to review all the sessions that went on uh, during the convention. Now, part of the reason why we had you on the show today is we want to we want to talk a little bit more because I don't think we talk enough to the grassroots coaches. Uh, grassroots makes up, uh, I mean, the vast majority of soccer being played here in the United States. And I know there's maybe sometimes not a lot of advice, not a lot of tips out there uh, for these grassroots coaches on what to do. We're gearing up for our spring 2021 season. Um, what's some advice that you would have for these brand new coaches, these ones that were, they got the email, hey, thank you for registering your kid in our program. Unfortunately, we don't have a coach right now. Um, we would love for you to be a coach uh, of this team. Um, you know, let us know if you'd be able to, to help us out in that capacity. What advice would you have to those new coaches? The more fun and enjoyment the coach can build into it for themselves, the more fun and enjoyment the players will have. I would say to that coach that you're describing, um, breathe, first of all, <laughs> count to 10 and take a, take a good, healthy I I inhale. Your soccer knowledge your lack of it, your perceived lack of it, you, you perceive you maybe have a lack of knowledge, your perception that you have a lack of experience running children of this age, um, put that to one side. Uh, most of you are, most grassroots coaches are parents themselves, so they know the crazy things that six-year-olds do and the crazy things that eight-year-olds do, and they will do those in the soccer environment or in the youth sport environment. That being the case, I would encourage the grassroots coach, the first-time coach, to really embrace the idea that these are children and will do the strange and bizarre things their own children do relative to their age of 6, 8, 10, whatever it is, and not to make the thing too formal, not to try to be some version of a professional coach, be it from soccer or football or basketball that they see on television, because that is not youth sports. That is entertainment. Uh, heavily money-driven, lots of pressure, lots of media. When you take a group of young children out onto the field with some soccer balls, the soccer balls are, to some extent, the props by which you create an environment where the kids are moving, hopefully collaborating, having fun, um, and moving about. And your sessions don't need to be more than an hour from start to finish if you've got a good um, a good a good degree of organization and sort of pre-planning. So if you pull up to the field with your own child and it's five to six, 
you throw the equipment out, you encourage the kids to start playing with the equipment, pull up the vest, put a vest on if they want to play with the ball. As soon as you've composed yourself at six o'clock, maybe you play some tag games with them, which do or don't involve the ball, something kind of light, but very spirited and a lot of action. And then if you have a little bit of soccer knowledge, you put in some formal coaching ideas in the middle. And then at the end of it, you let them play some small-sided games, probably with rotating teams to keep the energy and dynamics high. That could be a 55, 60-minute experience. The total elapsed time from driving from your home, hopefully within the zip code, and then driving home could be an hour and a half. Um, but it should be leaving people with smiles on their faces. And I think critically, the objective is to actually create an environment where the kids would like to come back next time, where they're talking to their parents about looking forward to soccer training next week. And that's because you created a fun and active environment, not because you bribed them with cookies or juice boxes. Um, but the grassroots coach is, the, is arguably the most essential coaches we have in this country. I agree with you that sometimes they're underserved. But of course, sometimes they don't need all of the bells and whistles of a competitive coach and things like that. So as long as the as long as the club and the association can offer some support structure for the, the grassroots coach, I really think it can be a very, very fun and positive experience. I think you bring up a great point that sometimes with our grassroots coaches, especially if they don't have the experience that they look towards what they see on TV, professional sports. And one thing that I'm really starting to notice a lot more compared to maybe 15, 20 years ago when we had grassroots coaches is uh, a lot more of our coaches have actually played the sport, um, which is kind of nice because back when, back when I was a little kid, you know, we, we didn't play, you know, my parents didn't play soccer. They had no knowledge of that. So it was very foreign and they would use when they coached baseball or when they coached football or basketball, they would use uh, those type of things. But we're starting to see um, a lot of coaches that actually had played the sport at whatever level that it was. Um, and, you know, and then these coaches, they, they try to replicate some of the stuff that they see on TV from professional coaches. Um, what advice would you have for them to, 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 I guess, maybe ease their, ease their concerns a little bit of, of not knowing uh, what's going on? I know you mentioned a few of them of making the sessions fun, but what else would you, would you? Well, certainly if the, if the coach has had some athletic experience themselves um, as a youth player and maybe as a young adult, maybe a collegian, whatever the sport, I would encourage you to think about, the coaches you enjoyed playing for and training with, and maybe the ones that created a less than desirable or less than positive environment. So regardless of what the sport was, a little bit of reflection on what worked for you when you were a young athlete, um, as opposed to what didn't, that would be one thing. The other thing I would suggest, and I, I, I kind of have fun with this is, if you went to these children's classrooms and they were taking their English classes, would they be reading Shakespeare if they were doing their math classes, would they be doing calculus? The answer to which is obviously no. So think a little bit about how the kids would play in the playground at recess or in the park, and they'd be climbing on the, the, the jungle gyms, they'd be running through the wood chips, they'd be playing different tags, it'd be very eclectic. I would try to replicate that environment as opposed to two children standing 10 yards apart from each other, learning how to kick the ball with the inside of their foot. 
Um, you'll never find a couple of kids playing organically in the park or in the backyard, standing completely still 10 yards apart from each other, performing some um, rather drab technical challenge. Um, now, you might want to put them into things like relay races, which can put a lot of energy in. And you certainly can teach a lot of the techniques you may know or you may be getting an understanding of, but you have to teach them in a way that is accessible to six, eight, 10, 12 year olds, not the way you would necessarily teach them to a group of high school or collegians who are completely understanding of the formal demands of technical development and I'm probably more willing to do something formal. You know, there's a lot of information available now on social media in regards to exercises, drills, sessions, you name it, it's out there. What advice would you give to these grassroots coaches so that they don't get too consumed with information overload? Um, Certainly, our general recommendation is don't go and buy the book, which is a thousand and one great soccer drills. Mm-hmm. The general recommendation is to watch a few coaches that have experience, maybe some YouTube footage of coaches working with those the ages we're talking about. Certainly Americans, so don't look up Barcelona's under eights because that's a different environment than looking at, um, you know, Kentucky's youth soccer program. So. The idea would be that we as coaches identify a number of activities that we've we've kind of worked with. We've seen they've worked. The kids like them. And then it's a little bit more about tweaking those activities. I'll give you an example. We play a game um, called Hospital Tag. That's a, a classic from USYS Youth Coach Education. The first time you play it, there's no soccer ball and the children just run around and they can tag everybody and everybody can tag them. So it's very crazy. After a while, if you get tagged, you have to put one of your hands where you were tagged on your body because it's like a Band-Aid and then two hands. And if you get tagged a third time, you run over to the hospital and you do some jumping jacks. So we play this game. Then we introduce the soccer ball. So now they're dribbling around. They're playing tag. They're doing a lot of dribbling with their inside and outside of both feet. They've got their heads up, but they're also trying to tag each other. So now they're looking to evade people, but also chase people. And then if they get the tags, they have to dribble with the band-aids across their body, putting their hands to uh, represent the band-aids. Sounds completely silly. It's fantastic for six, eight, even 10-year-olds will play that game. And because you've got three or four stages within the game, three or four variables to add in, you can say to the kids, let's play hospital tag and you can get 15 minutes out of that one activity. So again, it's not so much about having this library of different activities, many of which won't apply to your kids. It's finding some developmentally appropriate activities and then having the bravery and the um, intuition and inclination to tweak them and manage some of the variables like the number of soccer balls, the amount of space, the number of children, a number of different teams. Um, those are some of the little clues that uh, we, we use with coaches. One thing I think uh, a lot of grassroots coaches make, I know I made it back when I first started and had to, had to learn the hard way about uh, my mistake, is I focus too much on winning. 
Um, I think because I felt it was a reflection on me as a coach. Um, talk to us a little bit about some of that of coaches that when we get too focused on winning and why this isn't the best approach for these grassroots players. Wonderful question. The, the human response is it's completely natural because we're in a competitive game where one set of children is wearing one color and one set is wearing another and there are goals and there's a way to keep score that not only the players have an element of competition, more likely the, the coach will, and even more so than the coach, the parents will. Um, it's not surprising that a young parent watching their six or eight year old run around, they'd like to see them be competitively successful. So there's nothing wrong with winning per se. And if we're talking MLS or NWSL or our national teams, winning is the number one priority. There really is very little other priority. Uh, nothing trumps winning. But there's some there's some fantastic research, historical research conducted out of Michigan State was where, where it originally came from. And it's been infused through USYS coach education for many years. And it suggests that these young players, whilst they they think winning is important, it's sort of eight or nine or 10 in their list of priorities. Their priorities are having fun, making friends, being active, um, being allowed to make decisions, learning new things, feeling like they're improving. So very often, if there is a scrimmage and your team loses, the angst of the children is not as high as the coach or the, the parents. But sometimes we as coaches and parents, we, we sort of project that angst, that disappointment onto the children. The kids are aware how the result went. So when they come off the field, if, if some of the conversation is more along the lines of, did you have fun? What did you learn today? I saw you do something well. We as coaches can take that scoreline defeat and turn it into exactly what youth sports is meant to be, is a positive, empowering experience with affirmation and and dealing with a little bit of adversity and dealing with colleagues and things like that it's very very difficult i i i think it's very honest of you marcus to express you had those challenges i would express that if i went out and took a somebody's u6s right now i'd probably have that challenge myself and i should know better however everything tells us that what will get those six eight and ten year olds coming back next year is not their win-loss record it's the environment of fun and friendship and learning that you create. It's not the competitiveness that will bring them back. I can't remember what our season record was when I was six. Can't remember it. Yeah, there aren't too many trophies or, um, you know, historical reunions of the U6 team that won the championship. Um, I think it's also true at the youngest ages, whilst the children know that winning is important they, they've had that they have a sense of it themselves and i think again adults project more very often i'm sure some of your listeners will have had this the children will come off and ask you what the score was because they have a tough time tracking it there's a lot going on for a six seven eight nine ten year old in a game sometimes keeping a track of the score is quite difficult so very often in my training games we'll do some things like at the end of it it's always a tie or a draw and sometimes if one team's getting kind of blown out, I might say the next goal is worth 10 and that evens the score. Um, and of course, mixing up the, the teams and mixing up the kids. So if you're in a grassroots program, an in-house program, 
and let's say some six-year-olds have to play some seven-year-olds or maybe a group of quite experienced played a, a year together eight-year-olds meets a group of eight-year-olds that have been put together for the first time what's the harm at halftime of the in-house coaches rec coaches saying you know what let's scramble all the kids up we'll both coach both teams and we'll we'll divide them up so there's a lot of there's a lot of intelligent things that coaches can do especially in the rec in-house program if you're prepared to let your imagination run away with you sometimes and get out of the formality of the blues must play the reds and it must be two equal halves of 10 minutes with a referee and just create a nice environment for the kids to run around and have fun. Yeah. I think the key there is to be able to adapt and uh, to your situation and, and, you know, figure out, figure out what's best for the kids ultimately in the end. One of the, one of the things I think is a sort of a hot topic with the grassroots level is playing time. Why is it so important that these kids get playing time? We would good practice. If the, if the children are having some good practice, they've been taught some correct behaviors and they practice them, they'll get better. So repetition of good habits is what's the is one of the keys to development improvement technically. If you take your fittest and your strongest and you play them all the time, you may advance and progress their talents, but the children you've got sitting on the bench will just be getting further and further behind and you'll just be stretching your development of your group out further. Some of the children may want to come to largely sit on the bench and eat an orange. That might be the, the actual height of their involvement. So I would not be afraid to have a kid that sits with me on the bench a little bit more because that's actually their choice. That's, that's how they like to participate. However, we know that most of them want to run around. In that being the case, forget the score lines, forget the fact that you may have a couple of players that can't be quite as competitively strong. And we're talking six, eight and 10 year olds, right? right. Um, and let everybody play. I like to see grassroots programs, which divide the games into quarters or thirds because that really helps the grassroots coach especially if the grassroots coach is left by themselves very often i would recommend to the grassroots coach get a parent to come over and be sort of your bench coach and help you with those substitutions i would at the grassroots level the informal nature of the game i would tend to suggest you should be able to give everybody equal playing time and i like it better in quarters or thirds because then it's not quite as drastic as one, one group plays the first half and one group plays the second. I like them sort of blending in and out. Um, and the other piece of this to consider, especially as you get a little bit older, I would work and I would tell my parent group, the, the, my aspiration is to give every child in the, this grassroots program equal playing time if they want it. So we allow for the kid that maybe is a little bit shyer and a little bit timid. So we're going to allow for every kid to get equal playing time. I'm going to monitor this over the course of our six-week season. So rather than everybody with a stopwatch every game, making sure that everybody gets exactly six minutes and 45 seconds, at the end, the coach can kind of tally up how he or she has done, trying to keep everybody equally involved. And where there's maybe a little inconsistency, you make up for it the next time. And of course, if you've got some children that don't come every week and you have children that come and there are kids that do, over the course of a season, it's only reasonable 
that the ones that come every time will have tallied more minutes on the field. But that's not based on their ability. It's simply based on their, their availability. Um, so there's just so many important things about it. But it's important from soccer development points of view. More importantly, though, it's important from the notion of engagement, fun, and the child feeling like he or she is making a contribution and having a, a, a role. So if you think about things like self-determination theory, some of these little psychology tricks for motivation, our children want to feel cared about, they want to feel like they're making a contribution, and they want to feel like they have some element of choice or empowerment in the activity, however we as coaches express that. So for the grassroots coach, forget the wins and losses, completely meet out the playing time as evenly and equitably as possible. Ian, as we wrap things up here on the podcast, I have one final question for you. Um, I've seen this on Twitter on my timeline. I've seen it elsewhere. Uh, coaches asking questions with the COVID situation going on right now. A lot of coaches are concerned with the limited time that they're going to have with their kids and feel some sort of pressure to fit everything in in their sessions to make up for this limited time that they're going to have or will have with their kids. Can you give some coaches some advice when they feel like this? Absolutely. The first thing I would say is that um, when we see them the few times, maybe we see them on a slightly more limited basis now, or we see them for the first time after a while. As coaches, I would not be addressing COVID at all other than whatever the protocol is for that training. The children are very aware about COVID. They've, got, they've dealt with it at school. They haven't come to these precious soccer training sessions to have a debrief about COVID. So I would not be becoming an amateur psychologist dealing with the, the topic. What I would do, uh, especially because we, as you propose, we might have some limited time or limited frequency, is I probably would say to them, okay, great to see you guys today. These are the two or three things we're going to try to work on. Let's have fun. And at the end of session, let's see if we got to them. So I would be, because they may have not been with you for a while, I would be mindful of kind of putting their minds at rest and letting them know that it's going to be a safe environment in terms of what you're planning on doing in terms of soccer. I would not do run around the field and get fit because you haven't been with me. I wouldn't do anything that relates to physical conditioning or anything like coaches unfortunately fall back on because they think the lack of contact time, they make up for it by running them. I wouldn't do that. Absolutely not. What I would say to the grassroots coach is if you've got now, perhaps because of a lack of frequency, a little bit more time at home to map out on a on a napkin on a on your iPhone the list of activities. I think it's possible to show up to these trainings a little bit better prepared than you typically would be in the rush of coming from your workplace and you've got to train them two or three times a week or whatever it is. So I think the coach dealing with this COVID sort of situation um, has an opportunity to reflect a bit more on what to prioritize, has an opportunity to plan the sessions a little bit more. And of course, what we should be striving for once again, but even more so during COVID, is a lot of activity around the ball, a lot of movement, a lot of interaction per the COVID protocols. It shouldn't be fitness training and sitting around talking about how difficult the COVID 
um, situation has been. That's that's not for us as soccer coaches. Great advice. Ian, I thank you so much for coming on our program and, uh, and talking today. Now, if someone is uh, interested in knowing more about United Soccer Coaches, uh, maybe they're interested in getting that uh, package where they can review the uh, virtual convention that was just recently, uh, recently held, where can they go? Thank you for the question. The great news for your listeners, grassroots coaches, is that they can sign up at my website for a month for completely free access to a lot of our training tools, videos, including some online diplomas, which the coach can watch and generate a certificate of completion for themselves. Currently, that would be available to your audience once they register for free for a month, uh, whenever they choose to sign up. They don't have to put a credit card down. I think it's really just their email address so that in order to enjoy that opportunity, they would go to www.unitedsoccercoaches.org. United Soccer Coaches, all one word, .org, slash join. That will take them to a membership page, and there will be an option, a tab, for a 30-day completely free membership, no credit card, no nothing. Once they're in there, they should hop straight to the education page and look at all of the free resources diplomas and lesson plans and manuals and videos all completely free and if some of your listeners were interested in the pay to access convention package they can get into there through that website but again i don't know when your show's going out but currently this this offer is not uh, it's not time sensitive as of now it's still a free product because we felt that during covid we need to make our content a little bit more accessible to coaches as a, almost as sort of a uh, public service, if you will. So it's www.unitedsoccercoaches.org forward slash join, set up a little account, go in and play with all that content, much of which you can download and save in your personal library. Wonderful. We encourage all of our listeners to go check that out. Ian, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with us today. We appreciate it. I appreciate the invitation. It's always good to talk to um, coaches at this at this point in there again i i would argue there is nothing more important to all of us in the development of the game than when the kids come in at the grassroots level i agree and thank you for listening to the podcast today we really appreciate it remember make sure you like subscribe and share our program right here on the wvsa digital network thank you for listening to the west virginia soccer association beyond the pitch podcast you can catch a brand new episode every Thursday morning here on the WVSA Digital Network or find us on our social media platforms at WV Soccer. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.